Please bow your heads for the prayer of illumination. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, which can be found on page 1091 in your pew Bible. Listen now for the word. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one <coughs> excuse me, to whom we must sunder an account. Since then, we've had a high priest who was passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is in every respect has been tested, as we have, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in help of time of need. The word of the Lord. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack just one thing, go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed with these words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children and fields with persecutions. And in the age 
to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So my family, um, we're a camping family. I've probably mentioned that a few times up here. Uh, we like to be outdoors. We like to get out in the woods. Uh, probably a lot of that comes from our upbringing. I grew up in the Ozark Mountains, uh, camping and fishing and hiking a lot in my youth, mostly along the Buffalo River and the White River, um, to places called Lost Valley and Devil's Den and Hawksville Craig. Uh, Susie spent most of her summers as a youth in a wilderness camp in Algonquin Park. Uh, it's a provincial park in uh, Ontario, Canada, and both of our kids uh, attended that camp as well as uh, fourth-generation families. So our, our family has returned many times to Algonquin Park for those summers. A lot of times uh, when the kids were little, Susie and I would drive up to uh, Algonquin and drop the kids off at camp, and then we would camp in one of the campgrounds there uh, in Algonquin Park. <clears throat> Algonquin Park is roughly the size of Rhode Island, and it just has one paved road that kind of arches through the middle of it, so it's a pretty, pretty big place. But there's always lots of activities, lots of trails, lots of things to do, and the park rangers are always around giving informative talks. And, and I remember one time uh, listening to one of the park rangers there um, and, and she was kind of describing the park and the many things it had. And uh, she, you know, she said that people come to the park to hike on the beautiful trails and wander through the forest. And uh, specifically, you know, those trails are designed to really show off the flora and fauna and the, of, of the beauty of the place. Um, and uh, you can go up on these hilltops in some of the places and just see for miles the lakes and, and the beauty of it all. Uh, but she also wanted to talk about what are some of the most common questions that people ask a park ranger when she comes across them uh, in the park. And it wasn't what you would think. Uh, the most common questions were not, um, you know, where does this trail go? Or how long does the trail take? Or where's the closest bathroom? I, I think that's reserved for the church. That's usually the question I get most of the time here. Um, or do I need bug spray? Those weren't the questions people ask. Most frequently asked question, according to this park ranger, was, excuse me, but can you tell me where the trail starts? Where does the trail start? Now, it makes sense, no matter how fantastic or how breathtaking a trail might be, if you don't know where the trail starts, you can't take the hike. So for the next uh, couple of weeks, I hope that each of us will find the start of the trail to faithful discipleship. Uh, especially in the area of stewardship. Uh, stewardship is a word that in my uh, early years on, on that side of the pew, many of you may know that I spent more time kind of out there than I've spent up here. Um, uh, I'm a second career pastor, so I, sp I spent a lot of time in the pew uh, before I went into ministry. And I'm honestly not sure that I really understood the connection between discipleship and stewardship um, but after being kind of on this side and being able to study the Bible a little more in-depthly and, and, and really meet some fantastic uh, disciples and talk to them about their faith journeys and how they've done, uh, I think I've, I've got a better understanding of how to grow in that uh, discipleship. Um, stewardship is probably one of the most important topics that we should discuss together, but it's probably the least understood. So let me try to help out that way, and let's start maybe with the word itself. Uh, stewardship. 
The word steward comes from an old English word, stigward. And the stigward was a word that, was, that came from back in the days of uh, kings and queens and knights of the round table. And it described maybe a middle manager in the, in the lord or the king's house. Uh, and this person was responsible. They were the warden uh, over the house and possessions that the king uh, owned. So in other words, this person made financial decisions for someone else's possessions. So you get that connection? You and I are the wards of God's kingdom. All that we have and all that we are belong to God, yet we are in charge of making daily decisions about how God's creation is managed, administered, distributed, and looked after. Did you ever think about your life that way? So I think for us to explore this idea of being God's stigwards, we need to understand a little bit about our collective relationship with money, possessions, and wealth. We need to understand where the trail begins. Now, one of the places I learned a lot about where that trail started was a book that I read many years ago by a man named Tom Berlin, and it was called Defying Gravity, uh, Break Free from the Culture of More. That's where the sermon title comes from. And in his book, Berlin compared the financial world that we live in to the earthly gravity that we also live under. He said that ever since Isaac Newton identified what made that apple fall to the ground from the tree, we have known that gravity is a constant and unfailing force in our life. We don't even realize that it is ordering our world right now. But there is another force that's working around us all the time. Just as gravity exists in the natural world, financial gravity exists in the economic world in which you and I live each day. Financial gravity is generated by the culture and the economy in which we live, and like the Earth's gravity, it is necessary for our existence. Every human being has certain needs, such as food, clothing, and shelter, just like the hunters and gatherers of the olden days. We have to get these things for ourselves and our loved ones. Our problems with financial gravity arise when, they force, when we're forced to feel so much intensity about them and we begin to lose control. You notice financial gravity when you start searching for something on the internet. And all of a sudden, like magic, you see ads for items that appear in just your style and color or a product that maybe you were just recently talking about to a friend magically appears. You feel it when you check your social media account and instantly confronted with pictures that tempt you for the latest fashions, maybe a new gadget, the perfect meal for your family, or the greatest vacation spot you can imagine. The impact of financial gravity can be measured when you examine your bank account, noting that the balance is maybe a bit lower than you had hoped or when your credit card bill comes in and it might be a little higher than you would like. The key to financial gravity is to experience the force in just the right proportion. All of us feel the force of needs. Those are normal things. As an adult, you have to figure out your income and provide for your family, just like Chip explained how his family worked that out. A short list of needs obviously would include food, shelter, clothing, and those sorts of things. Uh, transportation, communication. Uh, the problem is, is that we live in a society that constantly tells us we will be better off if we have bigger and better. 
bigger and better things. And soon we move well beyond our needs and wants to desires. For most people, the list of what they want is not really short. A new car and a better model, a faster computer, a larger home, a flatter TV, a designer dress or suit, an expensive hobby. Maybe in the low country, we've got to talk about that boat, right? You've got to have the boat and all the things that come with it. As we add these to our lives, we can feel the added force of financial gravity holding us down. What we hoped would bring us freedom actually brings us exhaustion. We are tired, we are tied to our possessions in ways that wear us out. I recently heard this quote that it really summed this up for me. It said, we are a sad generation with happy pictures. We are a sad generation with happy pictures. Financial gravity is especially strong here in the United States. The marketing culture we live in is so well developed that the message of more and better for you is everywhere we look. At the same time that, market, that marketing has gone up, the once esteemed value of frugality has gone down. It even sounds old fashioned coming out of my mouth. The combination of increased market and decreased frugality forms a black hole of consumerism where the force of financial gravity is so great that it threatens to pull us in. Once we're there, we can't escape. Our complicated relationship with money and possessions is not a new problem. In fact, we can trace it back to ancient times. There was a story once of a young man who approached Jesus with a question. According to our reading today, that young man said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this man, he was a faithful man. He came to Jesus because he wanted to live a godly life. He loved God, yet he must have detected the pull of other forces that compromised how he was living. He came to Jesus for answers, hoping for wisdom and direction. Jesus told him to keep the commandments. And as Jesus reviewed specific requirements of the law, you can almost hear the sound of those check marks being ticked off in the young man's head. Then the young man replied, Teacher, I have kept those since I was a youth. Now here's the thing about Jesus. He knows what you're missing before you even ask. So if you ask him what you're still missing, you have to be prepared for the answer that he's going to give. Now that answer is going to vary from person to person. But for this young man, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Jesus was issuing a once in a lifetime offer. The young man was being offered true discipleship. He could have heard Jesus teach daily, participated in miracles, and helped form the early church. Think for a moment of who this man could have become. Instead, all we know about him today is that he could not change his relationship with money. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. He went away grieving. We have to ask ourselves, why on earth would he walk away from Jesus? The young man was obviously serious about living a godly life. He knew Jesus could help him on that journey. What would make him walk away? 
Well, it's important to pay attention, I think, to his emotional state. Scripture says that he went away grieving. He was sad to leave. The young man was torn between two roads to follow, two lives to live. He wanted to do something new in his life, go with Jesus, and learn how to give his life fully to God. He wanted to experience a deeper righteousness. He grieved the financial gravity pulling him back into his selfish world. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus points out that we have a choice between two roads where we can travel. The road to, king, to the kingdom of self and a road to the kingdom of God. The first road to the kingdom of self is the world that we see and touch every day. It is the world that we have created that includes our family and our friends, our work, our hobbies, our home, our possessions, and our abilities and our interests. And we manage that road. That's a good thing. God has given us dominion over it. God has made us to enjoy life and have influence in the world, to be the stigward over what God has given us. The problem is that when we lose perspective, we often think that our world is the world. You know this is happening when you hear yourself using the word deserve. We say, I know it's expensive, but I work really hard and I feel that I deserve it. Or I'm doing such a good job, I deserve to enjoy just a little more. Now, most of us protect the boundaries of our worldly, of our worldly life fiercely, like kings and queens of old. We can be very self-focused. The reason is that the royals in the kingdom of self are naturally consumed with our self-interest. We do not want to lose the power and the trappings of our realm. This is the space where financial gravity is felt the greatest. Notice that Jesus says it's hard to enter the kingdom of God when we, when we feel financial gravity as strongly as the young man did. Gravity is a force that pulls all matter together. The more the matter, the more the gravity. The sun has so much mass that it can hold together an entire solar system. Money and possessions have their own mass as well. They pull us in. The more we amass, the more we experience the gravity that comes from that mass. That is why many serious Christians who are wealthy are often the most disciplined about doing good. They understand that if they do not manage their money, it will soon control them. Jesus said it's hard for people to escape financial gravity and move into God's kingdom, but he didn't say it was impossible. In fact, he says to the disciples, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Jesus understood these dynamics, both for the young man in the scripture passage and for us today. And make no mistake, my friends, we are wealthy. We are wealthy if you compare us to the rest of the world. 
Defying financial gravity is that one thing needed to accomplish the goal of a loving God completely. And God is ready and willing to help. The good news is that Jesus offers us a way to enter the gravitational field of God's kingdom. Just as money and possessions can weigh us down, they can also be a part of what sets us free. So come back and join us next Sunday as we welcome Pastor Leon, from our mission partner from Haiti, as he tells us about what God is doing in Haiti. And then the next Sunday, October 24th, as we come together for one service of celebration and hope as we dedicate our estimate of giving cards for 2022. I look forward to seeing all of us being set free and defying the gravity of our financial world and embracing the power of God to set us free, free to love and free to feel the grace of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.